0: Good morning, North Boulevard. What a blessing to be with you here today. If you're visiting with us or if you're new, my name is Glenn Robb, and I'm pleased to continue the sermon series today that is focused on how Christ brings life into your world and our world as well. Uh, Today is a very special day for me in lots of ways. Uh, I am so thrilled to get to continue this series, but uh, I want to welcome you because I I feel a little stretched between all of the different campuses of North Boulevard. I identify with the online campus. If you're visiting with us from anywhere in the world, welcome and thank you for joining us. If you're from the southern hemisphere, I know we've got some people that far away. It's becoming winter where you are, but it's hot here and we're all welcoming summer. If you're from our West Murfreesboro campus, I'm so thrilled that you're here today. Uh, A big part of my heart, you realize, is with you at the West Campus. I'm looking forward to visiting with you again in person, perhaps next week when Anthony Walker will be bringing the message to us as some of us give David Young a few more weeks to recover from his recent surgery before he comes back and uh, enters the pulpit on a regular basis. If you're here at this location, again, I'm honored to be with you. Thank you for inspiring and encouraging me as you have every time that I come in person to this location. Tests are very common in life. Tests and testing is one of the most common things that you're going to find. Uh, You may have taken some tests in order to achieve some special goal in your life, actually some of the biggest advances in your life moving forward in one way or another have often come, I expect, after a period of testing. In most schools, you know, we have report cards after test to reflect what happened on the test. Actually, I brought one of my report cards today. This happens to be my first grade report card. It's starting to show its age a little bit here. I opened it up and I was surprised yesterday to see that they gave me grades on 26 different items. I don't know if they still do that or not. Some of you younger people will have to tell me about that. And as I looked, you need to know first that I went to a private Christian school in the first grade and I see that Bible was my lowest grade. That's not a good thing. The preacher shouldn't notice that. Actually, there's some things on many report cards that we would rather just forget and leave aside, and I understand that. But I believe that all of us have experienced lots of kinds of tests, and I also believe that you step up voluntarily for many of them. I know that because of my own experience. For example, when I wanted a license to drive a car, I had to take a test, right? Right? When I wanted a license in order to drive my motorcycle legally, I had to take a test. When I wanted to drive a bus, I had to take a test. When I wanted to carry passengers on the bus, I had to carry a test, I had to take a test. When I wanted to pilot an airplane, I had to take a test. Over and over and over we do that. As a matter of fact, if you want to be a school teacher, if you want to cut hair, if you want to be an insurance salesperson, If you want to be a counselor, if you want to be a lawyer, if you want to be so many, if you want to be a forklift driver, if you want to do lots of things in life, you've got to take a test first in order to prove that you are who you say you are and that you're qualified in order to do that. Jesus also faced tests. As a matter of fact, Jesus... At the end of Luke chapter 3, we're going to study from Luke 4 in a moment, so if you want to turn to there or click to there in your Bible, that'd be great. But in chapter 3 of Luke, we read the story of when Jesus was baptized by John. It was a beautiful setting, and Jesus was confirmed by an audible voice of God the Father, the Creator, as He affirmed Jesus being the Son of God, a magnificent representation of the Holy Spirit came in order to confirm exactly the same thing. And then, immediately after, came the inauguration of Jesus' public ministry. But first, there was a test. Let's read about it in Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. It doesn't say this, but that's where he was baptized. So he's returning from there. And he was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. I'm fascinated by this passage in lots and lots of ways. If you were here last week, you know that we had a challenge, and I fulfilled that challenge in my weekly discipleship group. uh, We studied this particular passage using the Discovery Bible Study questions in that in that question series, the instructions say to read it twice. We did. Then have someone in the group to summarize it or repeat it by memory to see how much you can remember, and then to dig into the details, which we did. And the more we dug, the more fascinating it became. You know, I should take just a moment and pause to thank you guys who are in that group for the sermon insights and preparation thank you, Lou, thank you, Lee, thank you, Seth, thank you, Jacob, thank you, Sam, all of you, not only for the study insights from Scripture, but also for helping keep me straight and focused on Christ on a regular basis for a long period of time. Everyone would be blessed to have a group of people like you. Jesus did not step directly into his ministry without a test or a challenge. And whatever else you learn from this passage today as we read about the testing or temptation of Jesus, whatever else it is, I want you to remember that you've got to expect spiritual resistance. If you set out on anything grand for God, then you can expect to have resistance come your way. Did you notice something about the passage? Did you notice who initiated the encounter Jesus had with the devil? I think that's very, very important. Jesus didn't stumble accidentally into a situation where Satan came up unexpectedly, but Jesus was intentionally, it says, led to the wilderness or the remote area by the Holy Spirit. It was an intentional encounter. I want to be clear about this. God or the Holy Spirit will never tempt you to do what is wrong. But God or the Holy Spirit will certainly lead you into a situation where you can be tested and or tempted not to do wrong, but number one, to build strength, and number two, to confirm that you are who you want to be and who God says you are. That's exactly what was happening here with the case of Jesus. Jesus. It was an intentional confrontation, and instead of being surprised by it, Jesus actually stepped up to the challenge. Matthew writes about the same story that Luke writes about, and so if you look at the Gospel of Matthew, you'll see it's even clearer when it says that he was led into the wilderness in order to be tempted. The whole purpose of that experience was to face Satan. And Jesus stepped up to the challenge, as I believe you should as well. If you do not, if you refuse to step up to the challenge for your opportunities to confront Satan in your life, then you will be making a big mistake. You will be devastated or destroyed, and so may people around you. The consequences are enormous. And so my appeal today is that we would get ready that we would step up and that we would accept Satan's challenges. Can I just pause and say a word to men for a moment? Sometimes women, not always, but sometimes women more instinctively resist Satan's attacks and Satan's strategies than we men, which is very surprising to me because men are so drawn often to competitive challenges. I believe Jesus was taken into the fight and we need men today who will step up to the fight and be willing to face Satan head on. I'm ready for men who will do that. Maybe for a t-shirt that says real men take on Satan. Now, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, boy, girl, child, doesn't matter. You're going to say, Glenn, how in the world do I do that? How do I take on Satan? How do I confront Satan? How do I step up to the challenge with Satan? Jesus, in his example here, of his encounter with Satan, gives so much insight about that. The first thing is this. You notice that the encounter came in a period of fasting. Often, or usually, fasting is associated with prayer. So this was a time of prayer and fasting. Fasting is so fascinating because in its simplest, simplest form, it reminds you that you do not have to have everything that you want. That every desire of your heart, you don't have to have it. It also is a reminder that your power is not within your own might, your own intelligence, your own will, your own self-discipline, but your power to resist Satan is only through the Spirit of God. And so Jesus was in this period of fasting and prayer. So, so important. But I know you're going to say, wow, can a person really fast for 40 days? Do you think it really meant that? Now, like many of you, maybe maybe most of you, I have some experience with fasting. Periodically, I've done one-day fasts. Uh, I've done one-day fast on a regular basis through many parts of my life. Sometimes I've stretched that to three days, never more than that. Sometimes I've done fasts that were longer than that, but something like avoiding all drinks except water only for a month. Now, things like that have helped me because it's a, it's a little simpler, but it's easier for me to remember God every time I'm taking a drink. I remember God, oh, yeah, the reason I'm not having the things I want is because God is my source of strength. So fasting can take on a lot of different uh, types, but for me at least, to think of a 40-day fast without eating anything just seems overwhelming and beyond my imagination. However, I personally have had two close friends, one a young man, one a young woman, who have set out on 40-day fast and done it. I have seen people do fasts like this. Now, it's it's a remarkable experience. It was remarkable in their lives. And you may have a desire to do the same. But if you do an extended fast like that, let me give you a warning. If you do that, you need to be sure and prepare in advance. Consult a physician. Measure your activity level because going on a, an Appalachian Trail hike and fasting at the same time may not be the smartest thing that you do. And also follow a predetermined plan of liquid intake of water, juices, or whatnot like that. It is possible to do a 40-day fast. And so I can picture Jesus actually did this. I don't have to stretch my mind or think it's because he was Jesus that he did. But he was in this intense period of time and the scripture says Jesus was hungry. And so, not surprising, Satan's temptation exploited that very weakness, right? Turn these stones into bread. Here's what the temptation is really all about. Just take the easy way out to get what you really want, right? You face the exact same temptations that Jesus faced, and yours probably sounds something like If you are a child of God, don't you think your life should be easier? That's really what he was saying to Jesus, right? I can imagine Satan or his demons telling you, putting this thought in your mind, if I really am a disciple of Christ, if I really am committed to him, shouldn't my life be easier? I shouldn't have all of these hardships. And Satan's message to you as it was to Jesus is just take the easy way out. Just take the easy way you deserve it. After all, who will know you're in this remote place, you're lonely, you're isolated, no one is watching, no one even cares. Just this one time, take the easy way. Don't ask whether it's right or whether it's wrong. But to be ready, you've got to be prepared as Jesus was If you want to be prepared and you want to stand strong like Jesus did, then you need, trust me, you need a great relationship with God the Father, your Creator. And if you do not have that, trust me, you'll fail when the temptation comes. You will fail. And so we need to prepare in order to be able to step up to the challenges that Satan gives to us. The story continues. Let's go on along a little bit. And this time we're going to start reading in verse 5. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Wow, what an amazing little section this is. Here in the middle of a simple, simple passage is a very poignant question that says, Who is in charge? Who do you think is worthy to serve as the leader of your life? Satan here Uh, well, let me just say it this way. Satan is trying to, to say he can give authority to Jesus for all of the kingdoms of the earth. And me, at least in my way of thinking, I say, well, can Satan really do that? Is he really in charge? I don't know how all that will sort out, but I don't know the simplest thing is if Jesus had just succumbed to this test, if he had just worshiped Satan and Satan had... Stood down. If Satan would just stand down and stand out of the way, wouldn't that make Jesus' life easier? Remember, he's about to inaugurate his public ministry, calling all people to follow him and to serve him. He wants people from every nation, every kingdom, every tribe and every tongue to follow him. And so if Satan would get out of the way, it would give Jesus that authority to make his ministry so much easier, right? But the question becomes... Is Satan worthy of worship? Is Satan worthy of being the one who leads? And so here's a lesson for us all to remember from this. You've got to trust only the worthy leader. Don't trust the ones who are unworthy. Is Satan really worthy? Of course not. Of course not. He wants you to think that he will make it easy for you to get everything you want. He wants you to think he has the authority to make that happen. He is the father of liars and he will continually lie to you in order to get you to do that. But I want you to think about the mission of Jesus. It could have been easier, yes, but it would have been destroyed in the end, right? If he had worshiped Satan, Satan wouldn't have to keep working in the world to pull people away from God, because it would already be done. Everything would be done already. It's the same way in your life. Trust me. Satan will say, this will be so much easier. This will be so much better. I will make it easy for you. Just take this route. But if you follow Satan as your leader, you will end up being destroyed and destroy the people around you as well. It's only a pathway to destruction. Now, I want you to pay attention here, because As crafty as Satan was, Jesus gave absolutely no authority to Satan. In the conversation, he gave no authority. In his life, in his ministry, he gave no authority to Satan. And you've got to put it in your mind that you will not either because Satan is not a worthy leader to be followed. Now, you need to know too that Satan knows something about the timing, right? What better time to destroy any grand work for God than to destroy it before it gets started? Jesus was about to initiate his ministry. If his ministry could be destroyed before it even gets started, then, oh, Satan would be so victorious. It's true in your life as well. You're not exempt from exactly what Satan was trying to do to Jesus. He will want to destroy any good thing you do for God before it gets started. Now, in your life, it might be moral temptations, financial reversals, relationship challenges that just continue on and on and on and don't quit. Satan will use whatever strategy he can in your life that is most effective for you, right? Keep that in mind. I know this from personal example. You see, well, let me, let me tell you a story about my married life. The first time that I asked Nancy to marry me, she waited for three days before giving any response. Now, if you've ever asked someone to get married, you know, three days can be an eternity to wonder, well, is it going to be yes, no, maybe later? It's a long time to wait. She waited because she was shocked. So, you should know that she, when I had the first conversation I remember with her, she was sitting at a table recruiting people to go on summer long mission trips to South America. So, I walked up to her table and she invited me to go along also. And the story is, is complex in some ways, but the simple part is I said yes. And so, I went on the mission trip, and near the end of that trip, I saw scooted through all of the social expectations and all of the expense and all of the uncertainty of dating and and all of that stuff and just asked her straight up, would she be willing to get married to me and move back to Brazil and to work and live there as missionaries? Well, no wonder she was shocked. We never dated, not even one time. And so uh, I understand that. So she waited three days while she fasted and prayed and then she came back and said, yes, I will marry you. Amazing. It's, I'm still amazed, actually. I'm still blessed in lots of ways. Uh, here's a picture of us uh, as children there in Brazil when we moved down there. So you can see what we look like. If you want the full story or the correct story, ask her. She's got the official version, I promise. And it's, uh, it's more interesting than mine. But here's the next thing. We did get married. We did prepare. Actually, for five years, to move to Brazil, where we lived for 11 years. On the weeks of preparation, getting ready to get on the airplane, Nancy, who had had a period of wonderful, stable health, suddenly had lupus flares that were out of control. And she was taking a boatload of medicine when we got on the airplane. And people in our family and our sponsoring church were shaking their heads and not sure and said, this doesn't look good. You shouldn't do this. Satan was mad and trying to destroy our ministry before it got started, just like Jesus. Within weeks of being in Brazil, she had the worst case of shingles of anything I've ever seen or heard of that left Permanent, lifelong scars. Satan was mad and trying to destroy our ministry before we got started. There were more health challenges, which is Satan's favorite tool with our family. Yours will be different. Trust me, yours will be different. I don't have any idea how, but it will be. He will look for what he can reach you with. In that period of serving as missionaries, there were more health challenges and near-death experiences both for Nancy and for me as well because Satan wanted to destroy our ministry. But we tried to stay focused on Jesus as our only true leader, and we wanted to follow him and trust him, and God brought blessings out of the middle of it. With three churches, we were able to help start And those have multiplied into three dozen now. And for that, I'm so thankful to have been a part of it. But you know what? It's not just you individually who will certainly face the temptations of Satan when you're trying to do something for God. It's true of your church. You can't escape it as a church. We know that. We know that very well here. If you're visiting with us or if you're new in the last few weeks, then you may not know this. But at the beginning of this year, we had a series of 11 weeks planned focusing on what we called the New Day Vision. Those 11 weeks were to be sermons and lessons leading us up to a giving campaign and to help us to see the vision of planting churches and making disciples worldwide. And what you may not realize or haven't thought about is eight of the 11 lessons leading up to that Giving Sunday were thwarted and unable to be executed the way they were planned. If you go around the world and you find any financial consultant who does consulting for organizations to do giving campaigns, and you tell them that, they'll say, that's a total disaster. That is unbelievable. And when you think about the reasons, it's even more unbelievable. David Hunsicker was supposed to do one of the lessons, and in the night, Before he gave the lesson, his whole family got sick, not just him, and was unable to do it. Shadonke Johnson was supposed to bring one of those lessons to us about global missions, and his son was murdered in the days before. David Young, our chief communicator and lead minister here, was guiding most of those lessons. And during the middle of that, He was diagnosed with multiple health issues, some of which are life-threatening, and he's been doing treatment for that since then. And I'm thankful to be here today, but I wish he were here in my stead. Satan was mad about what we wanted to do, and he was trying to destroy us before we even got started, just like Jesus. But we as a church are committed to let Satan step aside and God step in the center And we're going to follow the only one who is worth leading, and that is God himself through Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that you as a church responded so beautifully and exceeded our expectations of what could be given. We've already started in the middle of that, and God has brought blessings. We've already been spending the money on global missions. Let me, let me help you understand a a perspective or two of this. Two things. Now, If you don't like numbers and spreadsheets, which happens to be one of my love languages, then patience just for a moment and we'll come right back, okay? But give me a moment for some numbers here. First of all, if you're new with us, you may not know a part of this grand vision is that we want to see 60,000 churches started. I'm afraid you don't know how to count that high. Many of us don't or even to imagine that high. But think of it this way. If you were to take all of the churches within our fellowship that birthed this church, the Churches of Christ, in the entire United States, it would be somewhere around 11,000. If you go around the world, it'll be between two and three times that many. And so if you add all that up, you come up with worldwide within Churches of Christ, there's somewhere around 40,000 churches. Who would think that a single church like us would be able to set a goal to plant new churches and it would be 50% higher than the whole number of churches existing in our fellowship all around the world anyway. It's a big number. No wonder Satan is mad, just as he was mad about Jesus starting his ministry. But look what God has done. You gave generously. You gave abundantly. We've already been investing that money in 2018 before we thought about the New Day Vision the church was actively involved in six countries around the world in missions. We had had previously worked in another six or seven before that. But now as a result of this vision and what we're doing in order to accelerate church planting around the globe, now we're involved actively in 22 different countries around the world and some of those have multiple people groups speaking multiple languages. And so if you take the history of North Boulevard, now at this point, we've been involved in over 30, I think it's 31 different countries in global missions and the number of different people groups is over 50. So we have been able to see an acceleration of our global missions and church planting to a level that I'm sure is making Satan mad. Absolutely. And we're going to continue that. We're determined to continue that. Let's keep making Satan mad. But to do that, to do that, we've got to prepare for the testing that will come as a result. Okay, I had a picture too I was going to show you about how to go to our website, find the About column, look at missions, and you can see a map of where we're, where we're investing the money and where uh, it's got all the statistics there. So if you are the spreadsheet person, go to the website. You can find more. And if you're not, let's get back to reading, okay? Because the Word of God is so fun. All right, we're in Luke 4, and we're going to now pick up in verse 9. Another simple encounter, but with profound implications. And this time, I want you to notice specifically how well Satan knows the Scriptures. Did you pay attention to that? Satan just doesn't know Scripture, but he was pretending or moving into the position here of being the Bible class teacher. Can you imagine Jesus sitting in the Bible class and Satan's going to be the teacher? That's the scenario that we've got painted before us here. He's wanting to be the professor of biblical studies to say, here's how you can interpret this. You can jump off safely. This, is, this will be good for your ministry. It'll be good for you. It'll gain you lots of popularity. Priority, you, you'll be the priority news report around the world. Satan had a plan for how Jesus could do that. But I want you to notice the biblical applications of Satan are always distorted. Always They are always focused on exploiting selfish human desires. Satan will continue to distort the scriptures, and he will continue to use them to deceive you. So be cautious. Here's a reminder what to do with that test the teacher. That's that's a challenge, isn't it? Because today I'm the one up here teaching. But yes, test what I'm telling you. Open the Scriptures. Follow God's Word. Ask questions. Seek the original meaning of the different passages and how they apply legitimately to your life situation. Not pulling something out and distorting it so that you can get whatever you want. That's Satan's strategy. And it's a very poor strategy of how to live. Now here's your task, is to get familiar with your Bible. I've got an example of that right here. As a matter of fact, Jim Bryant is here with us today and he let me borrow this Bible which he had in Vietnam as a soldier. has metal cover on it. And what I didn't know until Jim told me is that He's passed it on to other people who've carried it into combat in many different places. They've written in the front all the different combat zones that this Bible has been in. Because when you're in the middle of combat, the Word of God is a valuable resource. And a lot of people realize that. Thank you, Jim, for the example of this. What a beautiful reminder that when you're facing the hardest test, the hardest temptations, and the greatest trials, and the greatest conflict with Satan, you need God's Word in your hearts. When you do, when you do, it will equip you to stand, and to stand firm in times of trial or temptations. You know, what I I think I want you to know is this you have got to step up to the challenge with Satan. You will face him. He will come at you. He will bring trials, temptations. He will bring challenges, but you have the ability to step up and embrace them as Jesus did. You can be ready. You don't have to worry about being tempted. You don't have to to question yourself, but You've got to be focused on the kingdom of God and on His Word at all times. Connecting to Him in prayer. Let's read the next verses because it it really says what I want to say so clearly. Look at verse 13. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. This is amazing to me in lots of ways. Did you notice that Satan left Jesus for an opportune time? You see, some of you are walking around in fear all the time, thinking Satan's with you at every moment. No, Satan just looks for those weak spots. So, you can relax, you can enjoy your spirituality, you can do whatever you want to for God. You don't always have to be worried, but you must stay prepared. That's the lesson. You must stay prepared because when you're hungry, when you're tired, when you're thirsty, when you're exhausted, when you're distracted, when you're dis- disappointed, all, in those moments Satan will look at you and say, now's the moment. Now is the moment. A weak, opportune time, and Satan will come after you. But I want you to notice this, okay? In the passage, in verse 1 of chapter 4, it said clearly, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. First words of the chapter. And then the verse we just read said he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. I want you to notice Jesus was demonstrating the power of the Spirit more, even though he was filled with the Spirit, before. You are the same way. If you will fill yourself with the Spirit, if you'll walk in the Spirit as Jesus did, then you will enjoy a relationship with God. You will enjoy the confidence and the security that He brings. And when you are tested, when you are tempted, when you are proven, then you can walk in the power of the Spirit, and you will do things that are amazing, that will make Satan mad and be absolutely amazing even to the people around you or to yourself. That's what we've experienced as a church already. If we will trust God's power to do it, it will continue. Now, like Jesus, some of His greatest ministry came after a period of testing. Your greatest success spiritually may well come after a period of testing and trial. We don't like to embrace that. But Jesus faced it and he prepared for it in advance. There's a common saying that says, no test, no testimony. And that's true. Your testimony, the power of your story comes often because of the depth of your test. So don't fear it. Don't run from it. I've got to ask for you to do one simple thing this week. I think this is pretty simple. You can decide whether it is or not. Uh, I want you to keep in mind the temptations of Jesus came before he was about to do something great for God, something big for God. So I want you to do simply this. Identify something big for God that you would like to do. Okay? That's it. Identify something that you would like to do for God, something big. Now, realize I'm saying big for you. I'm not saying big for me, big for someone else. I'm not... It, I'm not even saying something big for you at a different time in your life because sometime in the future you might can look at different things. It, as you know, at one time, the big thing for me to do for God was to, to go to Brazil as a missionary. I don't think I'm in a position to do that with my current status, opportunities, finances, health concerns, on and political, cli- there's so many things that would prevent that now. But I can look at something new. You can do exactly the same thing. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to write it down, okay, because that'll make it more concrete. I want you to tell a friend or family member, someone, just tell somebody else so that it'll, it'll kind of freeze that in. And if it's something worthwhile, you already have someone that's willing to pray for you about it or how to do that. I want you to pray about how to start And unfortunately, you then need to prepare for opposition because if you try to do anything big for God, whatever the scale in your perspective, Satan will be angry and want to defeat it. Okay? Let me give you an example of something like this just to help the parameters for your mind. Lee and Leslie Davis are North Boulevard members who live in New Hampshire. Hello, Lee and Davis. Thank you for your example that I'm about to share and for your willingness to let me share this. In the last few weeks, Their family, along with two of their daughters, decided, here's something we can do in our community. We'll host one Saturday every month a brunch at our house and make it an opportunity to have spiritually focused discussions with anyone in our community who's willing to come. Now, there's a challenge to that, of course. How do you let people know and and you invite people and and they're being very creative about that. They actually just held the first one uh, two weeks ago and not a lot of people came, but it doesn't matter. If one person comes, even better because you have more focus to do spiritually connected discussions in that setting And so their intention is to keep it up month after month after month. That might seem big to you, might seem little to you, but think out of the box and pick something big that you can do and then follow their example of stepping out on faith, preparing in advance, and then you will be amazed at the results that come. Now, some of you are afraid to do this and I know it's because you know nothing about walking in the power of the Spirit and you're you're unsure about that and, and you're scared about it and you're not prepared. So I want you to decide now, Just decide. You're going to stand up to Satan, and you're going to get ready, and you're going to step up to the challenges that he throws at you. Prepare yourself as Jesus did. And then when the spiritual attacks come, you won't have to worry. As a matter of fact, you need to know this as we finish. It's not hard. It's not mystical. It's not strange. It's not not as crazy and far out as you might think to prepare yourself for Satan's attacks. Follow the example of Jesus. Let me summarize that really simple like this. Walk in the Spirit. Make prayer a first response. Connect it with fasting in a way that helps you with that. Don't let prayer become the last resort only when life tumbles in and gets so hard you can't think of what else to do. Make it your first response. And then find strength in the Scriptures, as so many other people have trusted in God's Word. You do the same. It will strengthen you and powerfully equip you so that you don't have to let Satan walk all over you. You don't have to fear Satan. You will be incredibly blessed. Now, if you're not ready for that, if you're not ready for Satan's attacks, then I want to invite you to pray with someone from our church right now as we finish this service. In the online campus, you can push the prayer button. There's someone waiting for you there. If you're at our West Murfreesboro campus, there is a table at the back with a prayer team. They would love to pray with you and help guide you to your next step spiritually. In this room here, as you exit to my left, there is a prayer room with people waiting for you there. I'd love for you to talk with them and pray with them as we stand and sing this next song right now.